coming up. Well, I was never going to give her a pacifier, and then she got a pacifier um, from my mom. Um, and uh, she is so obsessed with her pacifier to this day. When she turns to the pacifier fairy, is come into our house. I'm the one having a problem thinking about my child suffering from getting rid of her pacifier even though I know the implications of getting rid of this pacifier and getting her more obsessed with her munchie. She kind of likes her munchie. We're like going to go full in on it. Right. Um, because of those like implications. We're just talking about the long-term implications. We all have choices that we can make in our lives and knowing the consequences and being able to choose is a big part of that. Even as a dentist, we are taught that they there is increased risk of orthodontic problems. And so mm-hmm. for me, I thought, okay, I'm not going to use a, a a pacifier. But at that time, my oldest, she's uh, 15 and a half, I did offer a dummy uh, or pacifier because it, it really helped soothe her. Oh, yeah. uh, it made a difference for me to go out and have a shower at that time. And yeah. I thought it's all about the teeth. I can't see, you know, I think you'll be okay. But really not understanding what are the full implications Uh, his dummy and ended up using it till three years and even the child health nurse told me go and get this big fat dummy these are the cheapest ones this will work really well and you know I wasn't even educated enough to not listen to that and to now be able to try to impart this knowledge to parents to understand that Mm -hmm. yes it's about the teeth as well but it actually affects their whole tongue posture Mm -hmm. their whole swallowing the way that their mouth works uh, and it really could be a sign that uh, there's an underlying issue if they have to rely on the dummy and we can address that better. Well, well, they actually alter the tongue posture. So they push the tongue down um, and they we, we actually want the tongue to rest against the roof of the mouth. And to that that's really optimal for good palate development. And it's really important for good tone of the tongue and to block off the nasal breathing route. And so the... Problems with pacifier use are going to be linked to the frequency, intention, intensity, and duration. So really understanding that the more we can limit the use, the better. So if a baby is really unsettled, mm-hmm. we don't need to leave it in their mouth. We can actually just soothe and remove. Um, and, you know, when the tongue is down, it alters the swallowing pattern. So there are risk, uh, increased risk of ear infections because it, the eustachian tubes can't drain correctly. We also understand that we need free tongue uh, or the tongue to sit in the roof of the mouth and stimulate these palate receptors. Um, That sensory component is really important for speech perception as well. And so uh, speech delays that can be linked to prolonged pacifier use as well. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website, www.mouthmusclememory.com. Now on to the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. Megan Vanoy, your co-host with Kimmy Nishimoto. 
my functional therapist and besties. Um, and we are so excited today. Um, our guest is not just a doctor, but also an author, uh, Dr. Shireen Lim. And she wrote the book, Breathe, Sleep, Thrive. And uh, we are so excited to talk more about the new book and to just pick her brain on all things, uh, basically, airway. So before we do, as you guys know, we have started pulling our affirmator card. So Kimmy, pull the card. Okay. Dr. Shireen, I'm going to let you tell me when so you can like be included in everything. Yes. Okay. Now? Okay. (laughs) Grace, I face disagreements with Grace and flow through the ups and downs of my relationship without getting thrown off center. Woof, that is hard. With Grace, (laughs) I'm able to keep my cool, be my best self, and not resort to name-calling, even when that crappy poo-poo face is being a douchey barf monster. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I think actually that could really relate to what we're talking about today, right? Because a lot of times as we're talking, maybe not like the douchey crappy fart monster or whatever that was, but like lending grace of the things that like we say to our patients and, you know, all the time is we don't know what we don't know. You know, we see so much mom guilt. We see so much even like just in general adult guilt of like, man, I wish my parents would have addressed my airway issues when I was a bedwetter when I was seven. Right. Or, you know, oh, my kid's five and I didn't know about this stuff. I wish I would have known when they were two. So I think in our field, we do have to extend a lot of grace and grace for ourselves for, you know, hindsight's generally 2020. So what we know now, you know, can lend a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, Dr. Shireen, tell us more, A, about you, where you're located, what you do, what your practice is, um, and what inspired you to write this new amazing book. Right. Yeah. So I'm a general dentist and I'm based in Perth in Western Australia. And so my the main things that I focus on in our practice is infant uh, tongue-tie management from infancy through to adulthood, involved with my, uh, my functional therapy and palate expansion uh, for, for young children, as well as tongue-tie uh, dental sleep appliances for adults as well. Mm. And so really I got into this area 12 years ago, prompted by my husband snoring. It was really frustrating me. So I decided that I was going to learn more about dental sleep appliances and uh, how to help other par- uh, spouses out of this situation as well. <laughs> so I, I actually did a dental sleep medicine qualification and became involved in treating adult snoring and sleep apnea. And what we what I realized was that a lot of adults that have these problems, they're actually not living life to their full potential. A lot of brain fog, memory concerns, struggling energy-wise, depression, anxiety. And we have really missed that boat to identify the, the breathing issue. But when I see the adults that are referred to me for snoring and sleep apnea for the dental appliances, it, mm-hmm. it we can really start to understand it's a craniofacial problem. It's a problem with their jaw development that we're actually trying mm-hmm. to band-aid mm-hmm. uh, to get them a better night's sleep with these dental devices. So I wanted to understand how come we can't grow the jaws properly in the first place. So in dental school, we're taught that you can actually develop the jaws at age seven to eight years with interceptive orthodontics. But yet, when I was referring to the orthodontist, they wanted to say, why don't we just watch and wait until a child is 12, and then mm-hmm. we can treat it more efficiently. 
But I did learn from the sleep medicine course, the work of Dr. Christian Gimeno, when we can do palate expansion, it actually improves nasal breathing and sleep. And so it really made sense. Why are we not doing this early interceptive orthodontics? And so that's when I decided that I was going to learn how to do it myself. I have young children. I wanted to do it for them. And now I wanted to introduce it into our practice. So what do we tell parents? Why are we doing this differently? We sent your other child to an orthodontist. They took out teeth to alleviate dental crowding. Your child has a beautiful smile now. Why would we want to do it any differently and start early? Yes. (laughs) And and so it's a really difficult conversation if you can try to imagine trying to connect all these dots for parents. And so that's what the book was about. I first thought of it around the six, seven year mark when I first started to introduce early orthodontics into our practice. But then really understanding that that poor jaw development is a reflection of poor orofacial muscle function and that there are many other opportunities very, very early on in life from infancy in the way we feed our children that can alter that trajectory of development. And so that's really why I wanted to write the book to highlight the importance of healthy jaw development, as well as what can parents do. And what are the red flags when things are off track with their jaw development or their breathing and their sleep as well? Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And I, I love that you saw the need and then was like I'm gonna do it myself if I'm gonna refer to you and you're just gonna tell him to watch and wait no 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 I love Mm -hmm. that yeah there there is no one else that I really would have wanted to treat my own children so that's how it all came about yeah which is it is such a hard space and it's funny that you're like yeah my husband snored and that's what got me into this like my dad snored and that's what got me into this right but Mm -hmm. now like it just is like opened up such a bigger world and you know when I had Isabel I had to put on my mom lens and I had to look at some of these things and I you know we tell parents all the time it's so much better if we can get it done earlier right prevention is so huge and I think in a lot of ways we do understand that but I think sometimes as a parent and I've caught myself in this you know, Izzy's two next month, you guys, uh, on the seventh of next month. I know it. I know it. Um, but you know, you you hear so many things, right. And you have to be like, okay, but like, what's best for my child? What, like this person over here is telling me I should do this. This person over here is telling me I should do this. This person is, you know, my mom, which is a terrible example because my mom is a rock star, but my mom told me I'm, you know, she never did this with me and you know, Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Right. Um, And it just can be, you know, parents can kind of be alienated when they Mm -hmm. do something quote unquote different. And so I think all of you guys out there who are coming out with these books and with the research, like, especially now that I've become a mom and have a new lens, like, just thank you for Mm -hmm. making everybody else not seem so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And, and these are complicated problems, and it's not just a one single thing fixes everything. It usually involves an integrative approach, and sometimes it's over a long period of time. There's lots of different things that we can actually do. And so I think it's important for parents to understand we may miss one boat, but these are the other things that we can actually do, and and these are the pathways that we can take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's, I think that's beautiful. Um I, I've had several people send me this meme over the last few days because um, everybody 
everybody who listens and everybody kind of my close circle knows that I really struggled through breastfeeding. I had milk production issues. So I had to bottle feed Isabel, despite everything we tried to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I, there's been several people who sent me this meme that's been going around, like my kid just got a face tattoo, go ahead and bottle feed yours. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> go ahead and bottle feed, it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, like, I think it's hilarious, right? But mm-hmm. it is, it's like, there's never one perfect way, but mm-hmm. taking what we know and what we know now and being able to apply that, mm-hmm. I think is so powerful. So in your book, obviously you've got, um, which actually you guys, if you're just listening, um, that's okay. But if you're watching, um, you know, she's got a lot of great illustrations and stuff. And I think being able to see things, and I know you've got some case studies in here that I was looking at. And I think being able to see some of this stuff really helped with that connection. So I think that's so great that you included so much of that within that. It's really easy to read. Um, It's like you can, you can understand it. And I just think that is so key when this is something that's so new to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, and, and it took me longer than I thought it would because it really, first version came out looking like a textbook. I'm like, here it's done. And yeah, people said, this is a little bit textbook. And, and, and that, that it was, it was so worth the pain and the struggle through it because that's what people say. It's readable. Mm-hmm. It's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And that's our whole vibe is like, how do we like explain this stuff in a way that the average person can understand and mm-hmm. take something away from? So that's that's good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. one of the points in the book was like how a myofunctional disorder could be an early warning sign of an airway problem. So can you talk to us more about that? Yeah, if we if we can understand that these uh, sleep disorder breathing, the, the restricted airway, one component is having a small airway and the skeletal or the jaw structure that actually forms the outer box and the floor of the nose and the house for the tongue. And so the way that the jaw structures grow, well, firstly, the jaw structure growth is peaks uh, in the early years of life. 60% of it is done by the age of six years. And it's actually influenced quite a lot by how the muscles work. And so the ideal stimulus for the jaw muscles, uh, for the jaws to grow properly is to have good tongue suction, the tongue resting on the roof of the mouth um, Mm -hmm. and the lips closed, jaws together and breathing well through the nose. Uh, And when we have that go off track, um, that's when we develop other compensations, um, you know, with like, for instance, breastfeeding, it's it's really a marker of good orofacial function. It's actually mm-hmm. the way that the tongue is supposed to work. It promotes nasal breathing. It promotes good jaw development, uh, good jaw function and mm-hmm. function of those masseter or chewing muscles. And so when those things start to go off track and we develop those other uh, problems with whether it be picky eating, breastfeeding problems, speech concerns, or all those things, those muscles are not working correctly and they're not providing that functional stimulus for the jaws to grow early. And so I wanted people to recognize, we all recognize that um, 
high arch palates and receded mandibles, they are linked to increased risk of sleep disturbed breathing. But what are the root causes of those problems? It is the poor muscle function, starting with tongue ties and mouth breathing. And, and whenever we have the muscles not working properly, it also means that the muscles aren't going to be working properly during sleep as well. And so, yeah. I think that's Perfect. such a good point because people often are like, well, they had a tongue tie, but they could breastfeed, so it's fine. But it's like those pe- those kids, they often are not the best sleepers or yeah. they grow up to be the teeth grinders or the bedwetters or the mm-hmm. they don't sleep through the nights or they have to constantly get up and get into mom and dad's bed and then they're kicking mm-hmm. mom and dad in the head. It's like, yeah, they could breastfeed like, quote unquote, fine, but it's still not fine for everything else. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think a lot of people say that they breastfed for so long, but the thing is, even if you have a tongue tie, you can still breastfeed quite often, but you compensate. So rather than using your tongue correctly and your jaws correctly, you actually overuse your lips and cheeks mm-hmm. and develop more swallowing patterns as well. And so I think a lot of people don't recognize that. Um, yeah. But I- we need to be paying attention to having a good optimal latch and making sure that tongue is working well because that is tongue training for everything else that we need it to do to develop that tone to develop the palate properly or to form that seal against the palate so that we can uh, promote nasal breathing or you know the tongue recognizing that the tongue is the most important upper airway dilator muscle or the genioglossus that forms the bulk of the tongue and so that needs to work really well and if we if it doesn't well work well, we continue to compensate, but it's nighttime when those problems are expressed because during sleep, all our muscle tone is reduced. And that's when we start to see those issues play out. So untreated tongue tie mm-hmm. will be linked to the development of these issues down the track. Yeah. Oh, I'm think, so excited. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And I, and I think too, it's like, Oh, well I breastfed fine and I gained weight fine. And you know, they're just such blanket statements, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know, she's just that was the heavy sleeper or, you know, it's cute when my kid sleeps with their mouth open and, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you're like, Hey, actually that's not safe. And then it creates that like defensiveness um, of, well, my kid breastfed fine. Right. Or well, my kid and, and that's okay. And that's great. I'm glad those things happen, but kind of where are we at now? And what are mm-hmm. we seeing now? Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, kind of that that open, having that, again, openness, gentle approach mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can be really kind of open those things yeah. up, right? Like, I had to bottle feed Isabel. I was never going to give her a pacifier. And then she got a pacifier um, from my mom. Um, and uh she is so obsessed with her pacifier to this day. When she turns to the pacifier fairy is come into our house. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going to do like a whole pacifier ceremony, the whole situation. And part of it is honestly, you guys, it's me. I hope you guys know that at this point, I'm the one having a problem thinking about my child suffering from getting rid of her pacifier, even though I know the implications of getting rid of this pacifier and getting her more obsessed with her munchie. She kind of likes her munchie. We're like going to go full in on it. Right. Um, because of those like implications and I'm not kidding you Kimmy I don't know if I told you this 
my mom told me the other day, she's like, man, her mouth j- looks just like yours when you were little. I was like, and that's why I had to have an expander. And that's why. <laughs> yeah. She's like, and, it's cute. And, you know, even, even as a dentist, we are taught that they're, there is increased risk of orthodontic problems. And so mm-hmm. for me, I thought, okay, I'm not going to use a, a a pacifier. But at that time, my oldest, she's uh, 15 and a half, I did offer a dummy uh, or pacifier because it, it really helped soothe her. Oh, yeah. uh, it made a difference for me to go out and have a shower at that time. Yeah. And I thought it's all about the teeth. I can't see, you know, I think you'll be okay. But really not understanding what are the full implications Mm-hmm. Uh, of his dummy and ended up using it till three years and even the child health nurse told me go and get this big fat dummy these are the cheapest ones this will work yeah. really well and you know I wasn't even educated enough to not listen to that and to now be able to try to impart this knowledge to parents to understand that mm-hmm. yes it's about the teeth as well but it actually affects their whole tongue posture mm-hmm. their whole swallowing the way that their mouth works uh, and it really could be a sign that uh, there's an underlying issue if they have to rely on the dummy and we can address that better uh, rather than having to use the dummy. So mm-hmm. I think I'm quite passionate about it because there are long-lasting implications of the dummy that continue uh, for a long time that we don't really, m- most parents don't recognise. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. And like, I was like Megan where I'm like that's I don't want to use a, a pacifier because I don't want to I want their tongue to be their pacifier yeah but I'll tell you what guys like I babysat my twin nephews by myself with the three-year-old home and I could not wait to shove that thing in there <laughs> yeah. I was like I need to just stop crying I'm stressed out so no yeah. judges to people yeah. that use them. We're just talking about the long-term implications. We all have choices that we can make in our lives. And knowing the consequences and being able to choose is a big part of that. So, mm-hmm. Dr. Shereen, will you please tell us what are the implications of using those pacifiers? And what are the guidelines? Because I've heard the guidelines yeah. are way outdated, it's mm, way too mm-hmm, long mm-hmm. and it already causes a lot of distortion. So talk to us all about that. Well, they actually alter the tongue posture. So they mm-hmm. push the tongue down um, and they, we, we actually want the tongue to rest against the roof of the mouth and to that that's really in, optimal for good palate development. And it's really important for good tone of the tongue and to block off the nasal breathing route. And so the, Problems with pacifier use are going to be linked to the frequency, intention, intensity, and duration. So really understanding that the more we can limit the use, the better. So if a baby is really unsettled, mm-hmm. we don't need to leave it in their mouth. We can actually just soothe and remove. Um, and, you know, when the tongue is down, it alters the swallowing pattern. So there are risk, uh, increased risk of ear infections because it, the eustachian tubes can't drain correctly. We also understand that we need free tongue to, uh, or the tongue to sit in the roof of the mouth and stimulate these palate receptors. Um, that sensory component is really important for speech perception as well. And so uh, speech delays that can be linked to prolonged pacifier use as well. Interesting. I don't know if and I've so heard really, that one. 
Yeah, there, there is a research study that said you need free tongue. That tongue needs to hit the spot to recognise those sounds. And so this could uh, be linked to dummy use or even tongue tie mm. yeah. as well. I knew, I knew the tongue tie part, but I didn't know that also extended pacifier use has been connected with speech delays. I yeah. guess it makes yeah. sense, or, or, though. Totally it makes sense. Because yeah. if you have, like, a lot of times tongue tie and low tongue tone will mimic each other with their myofunctional disorder, mm-hmm. but one is caused by the physical restriction and one is caused by the low muscle tone or low posture. So it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there there are some recommendations that we should be using uh, pacifiers to actually minimize the risk of SIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh However, there there is some research to suggest that the dummies actually have a protective mechanism or against that they protect against sleep disorder, the breathing, because it actually creates that a suction that actually gets the back of the tongue and the palate, soft palate to connect. And so I think a lot of the time, if we can get the tongue working better, uh, we can actually create that issue. So one of the biggest protective factors against SIDS is to be on the back. But when babies are on their tummy, I'm also starting to think these are babies that are more prone to disturb breathing. They're actually trying to protect their tongue from getting down the back of their throat. So I think mm. what we're going to find later on is that we may not really need to blanket offer a pacifier to all babies. Mm. It may be more protective for the babies that are sleeping on their stomach. Mm -hmm. The reason why some babies sleep on their stomach, it could be actually linked to poor tongue posture or low tongue posture and basal tongue obstruction of the throat. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I don't, I don't know if anyone super knows though, because my mom was saying that she's been raising babies since the eighties, the nineties and the early two thousands, because we have a huge spread in my family and she said that tummy time was never a thing until like later on with her older, like with her younger kids, uh, because she used to just put them to bed on their bellies. And then it became baby on back later on. And then mm-hmm. they started having to implement t- be- tummy time. So I would be so curious to have like a scientist on that could talk all about SIDS because it's such a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I've probably stepped out of my realm of expertise a little bit with those comments, but yeah. Yeah, We're talking about mechanics and we're kind of seeing how things relate. And, you know, I don't think it's a bad bad thing to hypothesize. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, Kimmy, actually, same thing. Like, you know, between my older sister and my youngest sister, there's nine years. And, you know, I, if I remember correctly, my mom was saying, like, with my older sister, tummy time wasn't talked about as much but then like when Sydney was born it started to be talked about more you know and more being on the back and there's only you know nine years almost almost 10 years difference between the two but still so much has changed I mean I've been in this airway space for about 10 years uh, and I you know and you know so if you Dr. Shereen a little bit more right and all the things that have changed just even in the airway space in the mm-hmm. past 10 years and what we know now like you know, the techniques for releasing tongue ties when I first started out and even how we diagnose tongue ties mm-hmm. is completely different to now. And, you know, that's not that big of like chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'll just see how how it plays out because 
um, everything changes so often. It's just like one fruit food is good one day and it's not good a couple of years later. So I'll be so curious about the whole Sid thing and tummy time mm-hmm. in the future. Like maybe there'll be a resurgence of be- baby on belly again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I think what I was really maybe trying to get at is that maybe tummy sleeping is not really protective against mm-hmm. it. Right. But maybe tummy sleeping is those children that are more prone to airway obstruction. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes can you kind of tell which children walk into your practice that actually sleep on their tummy? Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes they like just look a little bit crooked because I think it puts like that pressure on their their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and so for me, usually if I see an open mouth and a tongue thrust. Mm-hmm. I will ask, do they tummy sleep? And quite often mm-hmm. these are the tummy sleepers. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's just another, like, just kind of like nugget to have in your toolkit of like things to kind of look out for and even like things to ask. And you mm-hmm. were talking about swallowing patterns. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually get this question a lot, um, not even kind of in my patient space, but in general, just you briefly brought it up and I want to talk about it just a little bit more um, how we swallow in ear infections. So mm-hmm you know, it, we get this lot. Well, I had a lot of ear infections as a kid, but I grew out of them. Right. Will mm-hmm. you talk to us a little more about those mechanics of swallowing and why maybe the younger kids tend to have more ear infections in tubes versus like how that changes? Yeah, I think that originally children will have a more horizontal eustachian tube that doesn't drain as well. Uh, and that sort of corrects as they get older. But I think uh, if we look at ear infections, a lot of people are starting to comment that it is actually eustachian tube dysfunction, where the mm. eustachian tube is not working correctly. And for that eustachian tube to work well, uh, the soft palate muscles need to elevate well to open the eustachian tube. And so poor swallowing, where the palate is not working well, could be linked to poor drainage. And so a lot of children that are having these recurrent ear infections, I think it's important that we look at their swallow. And Mm -hmm. there is also research to suggest that palate expansion can actually improve uh, hearing, improve eustachian tube function and also hearing loss um, Mm. from chronic gluia or the, the accumulation of fluid inside the ears. And they've actually done research on children, I think around the seven to eight year mark, where they've randomized children into groups where they have no treatments, uh, treatment with ear tubes or treatment with palate expansion. And they found that the children with ear tubes and palate expansion, they both improve their hearing thresholds and to the same degree. So therefore, the researchers conclude we may as well do the palate expansion. That is the most preferable option because we're getting to the root of the issue. Mm, that's a super good point because if you think about like anytime you've been on a a road trip and you go high into the mountains or you're on that airplane and your ears are aching and so painful what's the advice either chew gum or do that hard hard swallow Mm -hmm. yeah you're clearing the eustachian tubes right and and so one of the reasons why palate expansion uh can actually be effective to improve eustachian tube function is that when we expand the palate, we improve the scaffold that the soft palate 
is suspended from. And so that allows it to work better. But then there are also people that will say that it improves nasal breathing. So that also helps to reduce pathogens, which could be um, linked to ear infections as well. Mm -hmm. Guess what? It's all connected, right? That's what we talk about all the time. (laughs) And and really understanding that palate expansion uh, can play a very central role in improving nasal breathing uh, and and many other things mm-hmm. that go with it, whether it be ear infections that go with mouth breathing. and mm-hmm. Fantastic. We want to introduce this spot for TOTS course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages 2 to 5 for Mini Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. Uh, The course is $2.97 and the link will be in the description. So that leads me, like ears, leads me into my next question here. ENT Mm -hmm. problems. So ear, nose, throat. Mm -hmm. Um, In your book, you talk about how ENT problems are a symptom of breathing dysfunction. Talk to Mm -hmm. us all about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of children that have ENT surgery, uh, it's assumed that they will become nasal breathers, but we all deal with children that aren't converting. Uh, And so there is going to be a bigger root issue that we need to deal with. And so one of the interventions that's really effective is palate expansion. Uh, so I think um, when when children have surgery, we really need to restore nasal breathing. Right. And so in terms of restoring nasal breathing, we need to address narrow palates because that will actually improve nasal airflow. We need to improve um, the tongue suction as well as achieve the good lip seal and, mm-hmm. as well. And so... I actually look at these problems as, or enlarged adenoids and tonsils as being a symptom of dysfunctional breathing. And there is actually a hypothesis that's been published uh, by Dr. Howard Stupak, and he's done some experiments using um, models to look at airflow to validate this hypothesis. But what he's really suggesting is that enlarged adenoids and tonsils could be a symptom of poor palate development. And when we have a narrow palate and we have reduced nasal airflow and nasal disuse, we actually have to breathe harder So during sleep. And so when we breathe harder and we increase the collapsibility of our airway, that draws in those tissues, the enlarged adenoids and tonsils, and it creates the swelling. So that's one hypothesis. And I tend to agree with this because what we now know is that there is research to support that when we do palate expansion, we get objective decreases in the size of the adenoids and tonsils. And so therefore there is something happening with that improvement in nasal airflow that is reducing those enlarged adenoids and tonsils. Mm. And that could be getting closer to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that we should completely avoid taking out adenoids and tonsils uh, for all children. But I do think that there is a a space where sometimes children do have to go on a wait list to get an appointment or to get Mm -hmm. a surgery. We can do palate expansion and 
usually like in five, six weeks, we can notice that there is going to be some improvements in symptoms. And if they improve uh, quite significantly, we don't need to rush into surgery. There are some children that won't need surgery after palate expansion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's getting closer to the root of the issue. And, and we need children to breathe through their nose. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. I had another question for you when you were talking about the the collapsibility of the airway and that being part of the reason why they swell. What about like silent reflux where you're getting that negative suction of acid up into the upper airways? Because I've heard that that could be another reason why um, kids or adults could have inflamed tonsils or adenoids would be like that silent reflux. Yes, that's true. And, and sometimes reflux can be actually a symptom of dysfunctional breathing as well. So when we are breathing harder, again, same sort of pathway, we are generating more negative pressures in our throat. And uh, that is going to allow stomach contents to aerosolize up here. And yes, that, that can also, uh, you know, increase swelling of those tissues. So I do think a lot of these children that have a reflux, sometimes it could be breathing related. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it makes yeah. sense. And then you're just getting hit from both sides and those poor tonsils and adenoids just have no chance. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. And I think, you know, if I were to put back on my dental hygiene hat, which I have not worn in several years, but we're putting it back on and I'm looking, you know, doing cancer screenings in patients' mouths. I'm looking at the back of their throat. I'm looking at their tonsils and not necessarily always in that airway space. Um, You know, the very first dentist I ever worked for was a bioblock dentist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was telling me, you know, did you know your tongue's supposed to, you know, be on the, you know, on the spot. And I'm like, what is that? Right. Um, And slowly kind of teaching me what started some of the things to start looking for. And he's the only dentist I ever worked for in you know 10 years that like was looking at those things well now in the past couple of years since I've been out of that you know hygiene space there has been kind of a huge push for dentists to start you know um, screening for these things and uh, you know a lot of times we get frustrated especially adult patients like I've been seeing the dentist my whole life the orthodontist the regular doctor they've seen all these people how come nobody's ever told me this before right Um, you know, and I always make the joke that like, it's nobody's job to look at the tongue except for mine. Um, (laughs) it's not Ian, it's not ENTT, right? There's no tongue in the word dentist. Right. Um, but like, I do think that there's been a huge surge in these last couple of years that dentists need to start screening for these things. And it's not weird for your dentist to ask you these questions and to screen for these things. So, um, you know, what were some of these red flags from like a dental perspective, if patient was in your chair, um, mm. if you were doing that, what would you be looking for? Yeah, uh, well, well, firstly, I just want to highlight that it is not weird for a dentist to be doing it because in right. 2017, <laughs> uh, the American Dental Association actually released a policy statement suge- suggesting that all dentists should be screening for those red flags and in children to identify children at risk of disturbed breathing. And so what are the common red flags? Well, I think teeth grinding is one of the strongest red flags. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, tooth grinding related tooth wear. Um, 
We know that teeth grinding can be a compensation to keep the airway open. Uh, so there's an arousal from sleep and then the, the muscles are activated and that just keeps the airway open. Um, looking for open mouth posture, enlarged tonsils that we can have a look at. Uh, looking for tongue tie, how is the tongue sitting? Um, narrow, high narrow palates or any malocclusion. So if there is any crossbites or there's a, a retrognathic or or, or overbites, as parents would call them, where their lower jaw mm -hmm. is more recessed. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, or any any dental crowding, which could be a, they're all signs that the jaws aren't developing well. Um, and so, when the jaws aren't developing well, there is going to be some sort of airflow limitation, and the child is not going to be breathing as optimally as they can. We were talking about reflux before, as as well. The uh, the Erosional wear, I think it's quite commonly, commonly mm. occurred, but so many children have these signs of erosion in their teeth. Yeah. And the children that have a lot of dental decay and problems, um, a lot of parents come in and they're saying, oh, I don't really feed my children that bad a diet. Mm -hmm. Some of these children that have multiple decays, what we're really overlooking is the mouth breathing. And ah, I actually think hallelujah. that reflux wow. disease or this acid inside their mouth is actually increasing their risk out of proportion to what it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I had this little buddy yesterday who I did an evaluation for and they actually live up in Alaska. Like they don't have, like they have a town dentist that comes like once a month to like, they're in a very secluded area and they actually flew to Portland um, mm -hmm. because the mom had found Dr. Stacy on, uh, on Instagram basically. And mm -hmm. Um, so they actually flew to Portland to start kind of working through this airway stuff. They're going to work with us virtually. Um, and because, you know, he's only five and he's had so many cavities and she's like, she's a nutritionist. So her kids eat very well and there's mm -hmm. not a lot of plaque on her teeth. And she had been saying, I think there's something more here where it's not that we're not brushing and flossing. He eats good food. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, she was dismissed so many times and did her own research to find. Mm -hmm. And we were able to validate her concerns. I'm like, yeah, it's because he's a little mouth breather. Right. Mm -hmm. And he is. He 100% is. His tongue is low. He can't even lift his tip of the tongue up. He's not tongue tied, mm -hmm. but he has such low tone. Uh, even just lifting his tongue mm -hmm. up is hard for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so mom felt so validated um, by knowing that, uh, mm -hmm. that it's, you know, not because she was doing anything wrong with her kid. Yeah, absolutely overlooked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. But we're getting there. The world's changing. We see it every day. We've been in this space long enough that we have seen things change so much, even in just a short period of time, which is amazing. So, you know, and then we have the other side of the problem, right? Like we're, we're able to help prevent so much in kids. We're able to help people early. But then there's the rest of us who didn't figure these things out until our 20s and 30s and 40s and beyond. You know, if we would have caught these red flag symptoms when we were younger, yes, that would have been amazing, right? But again, hindsight 2020. So what are some of the things that adults, some of the problems that we see adults see um, developmentally when that kind of airway growth gets off track? So what happens with adults? It, you know, the most common symptoms that I hear adults describe is brain fog, memory, memory concerns, anxiety, depression, um, you know, high blood pressure. It's linked to virtually, uh, well, increased risk of virtually every chronic health condition, whether it be cancer, um, you know, heart problems, strokes, dementia, mm -hmm. diabetes, virtually everything. Uh, 
it's important that we could get good quality sleep and we need to pay attention to how we're breathing because that dramatically affects the way that we sleep. Mm-hmm. And whereas in general, in, in traditional sleep medicine or in sleep medicine, it's really focused on treating the end-stage problem, obstructive sleep apnea in adults and how can we give them CPAP and how can we give them mandibular advancement or devices or dental appliances. But really, I think that parent, those are those are Band-Aid solutions and we really should be trying to offer or at least offer the option of restoring nasal breathing for adults. And sometimes that's going to involve exactly the approaches that we use in children with developing the jaws through uh, palate expansion or MMA surgery to develop the jaws forward. But it's a lot more complex to deal with. And so I see in my practice all these adults that they're they're really struggling. They may have this depression or just brain fog and really be dragging through the day and they've got the narrowest jaw and they've had teeth removed and like sometimes they have a tongue tie and they've got the chronic uh, neck tension and the headaches but you just actually can't release the tongue tie because their mouth doesn't have the space for their tongue to work properly and we could potentially aggravate their breathing disturbance because their tongue has nowhere to go but back and I think it's important for people to recognize that these are the down the line problems if we don't address it properly. So we need to focus more on airway health and reinforcing or securing nasal breathing for everyone Mm -hmm. as early as possible and making sure that airways grow well, which means that in the earliest years of life, we need to make sure that muscles are functioning well to provide the proper stimulus for for the jaws to grow well. And with orthodontic treatments, treating crooked teeth with braces or taking out teeth, we're not really addressing that poor jaw development. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we need to develop the jaw well early on uh, because it is quite despairing. I, I often will say that when we're involved with some time management from infancy, there's so many problems that go with when the tongue tie is dismissed or, mm-hmm. or families mm-hmm. really, really struggle, babies struggle. Or sometimes when the children are older and they're having poor sleep and ADHD or behavioural concerns and it impacts the whole family dynamics and Mm -hmm. they're all despairing conditions or or problems. But the worst thing for me is seeing the adult who has had this struggle for years and years and seeing the jaw problem and thinking we could have actually dealt with this along the way if mm-hmm. actually parents just knew what are all the things that we need to look for. And there's so many things or opportunities that we can actually uh, intervene or, or set up from the very beginning, if only people know. That yeah. is such a good point. I've been thinking about this too, because I've had some severe teeth grinders in my chair lately that I'm low-key like, do you have sleep apnea? <laughs> but, um, you know, you look at, the chronic teeth grinder mouth and they've got so many crowns so -hmm. many crowns usually like half a dozen root canals and i just feel bad for them like that is Mm -hmm. so expensive Mm -hmm. like say the average crown out of pocket if they have insurance is like six hundred dollars but if you have most of your back teeth are crowned 
so expensive. And a lot of times they end up needing full mouth restorations where it's like the 28 crowns. I can't even imagine how pricey that is. Mm. If we could get them when they're younger, they would have so much more money in their pocket and be able to do so much more fun things like go Mm -hmm. on vacations or buy the boat or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of our OG episodes with my patient, Wendy. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the main things she came to me with was anxiety and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. That was her main concern was the breathing, sleep, anxiety, and panic attacks. And she, she didn't have a tongue tie issue that we needed to address. She had low tongue tone, mouth breathing, um, and just that quality of her life changed and she was in her thirties and just, you know, to have that anxiety and the panic for so long, like she got a new lease on life, which was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think I see this with the tongue tie adults, some of the tongue tie adults that have their tongue ties released mm-hmm. and how they can sort of breathe better, sleep better. And it's a literal release. Mm-hmm. Um, of themselves mm-hmm. if we can only address that younger mm-hmm. so that people yeah. don't have to go through that yeah which is why this book is mm-hmm. so great you know I was kind of sitting here thinking about putting you on the spot and being like what's your favorite chapter but like you wrote the whole <laughs> thing like every chapter is your favorite right mm-hmm. um like and I'm just again I'm kind of looking through just I, you know, we've read the book, but just kind of looking through some of these like cases, you guys, like, you know, it's the illustrations in the, I guess they're not technically all illustrations, but the, you know, the images in here are so powerful. Well, of course, I was just in your myofunctional therapy section. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, or just the palette expan- expansion and just seeing, you know, how much these kiddos have changed. I just think that that is so so cool and I like how you have even um, some highlighted areas like this it just in this page a child's greatest need for restorative sleep and peak window of brain development is before the age of three years old mm-hmm. like woof like that <laughs> my daughter's almost two you guys right and mm-hmm. like we this is and think about how many you know parents struggle with their kiddos sleeping in those early years and you know conversations around sleep training and sleep and noisy sleeping and sleeping with your knees tucked in your your butt in the air right um the idea of how much development especially of the brain can happen by age three is just Amazing and concerning all at the same time. <laughs> uh, for sure. I think it was 80, 80 to 90% of the brain is, it's, it's reached its adult size by age three. So mm-hmm. definitely something we need to pay attention to. Yeah. 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 The breathing thing is so fascinating. I saw this um, post the other day. It was Stephen Lynn. I love him so much. Um, but it was like an MRI showing how the brain kind of, moves that brainwave cycle that we talked about with the the Gillespie approach in the last Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. but when you breathe your brain kind of expands and contracts Mm -hmm. and it's like slowly kind of pumping Mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself like that is so important that we teach people to breathe with their diaphragm breathing Mm -hmm. down low into their lungs versus like (laughs) all Mm -hmm. shallow and rapid with the chest like to breathe low and deep to get the maximum 
efficiency of that brain and also like that pumping of the cerebral spinal fluid. Yeah. It's just it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, I, I was actually reading um, a colleague's book called Empowered Sleep Apnea. He, it's by David McCarthy, all about uh-huh. obstructive sleep apnea for adults. Yeah very simple, clear explanations for adults that want to feel empowered about their condition and how to manage it. But he uses the word nasodiaphragmatic breathing. And I think I liked that. Uh, Maybe I'll use that more next time. It's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. But it is uh, really highlighting that is the optimal way to breathe. Yeah. Uh, Oh, gosh, that's so true. Um, you know, since we're talking about, and we, you know, we've had a lot of different perspectives on here, you know, the brain being 80, 90% developed by three, obviously we know early intervention is key. What do you think is one of the best ways for parents of kids under three to get started? I think given that the jaw development is really important, Mm -hmm. uh, and Breastfeeding is one of the most modifiable influences. Mm-hmm. I think we need to promote the mechanical benefits of that mm-hmm. and really allow more people to be aware of the possibility that tongue tie could be the root issue of breastfeeding issues and looking for optimal latch, not shallow latch, which may overuse the lips and cheeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want deep lash and proper tongue function uh, because breastfeeding really sets things up and even nasal breathing. We can suck, swallow, breathe and coordinate so we don't need to stop and mouth breathe when we're feeding. Mm-hmm. So I, I think really that is one aspect and just making sure that people, are, if we can close baby's mouths where possible um, because if they continue with the mouth open, they will most likely become a mouth breather mm-hmm. in, in the first year, you know, by the end of the first year of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and just making sure they have a clear nose. So just all those type of things, mm-hmm. munchy, chewing, just exercising and using the muscles well because mm-hmm. it's, it's a functional problem with the tone of the muscles as well as the jaw problem. And there's not a lot we can do. Sometimes I see babies that are born with a narrow palate mm-hmm. and I just know that's going to impact their uh, function and their nasal breathing, but you can't really do anything in that first three years of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. We do lots of munchy and lots of nasal rinsing for Izzy. Uh, we, yeah. she actually, um, she loves, she loves it. She oh, loves she it. does. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> she loves it. She yeah. doesn't, we started with bogey spray um, yes. and she loved that. She's tried to do it on her own. And then when we recently had the, the flu, um, which was brutal, you guys, I don't mm. recommend it. Um, we did lots of this. Mommy did it too, because mommy is also very sick. Um, in the bath, and she she would grab it, she'd do it, and she loved it. And um, yeah, you know. I, I think um, you, you know what we need to see is more videos of things like that to normalize it. Yeah, I know. I needed a third hand or like to set up my tripod. I I kept wanting yeah. to get videos of it, but then there there is a little like wrangling of the toddler too. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I do think that's true. I think we need to normalize a lot of this stuff, right? Like normalize using mm-hmm. munchies, normalize the using the nasal rinsing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it was Aaron, I think Aaron, my associate, sent me like um a video 
of a like a smaller baby with a syringe and mm-hmm. like ha- half the comments you might have too Kimmy half the comments were like oh my god how could you torture your baby like that and it's like mm-hmm. whoa 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 like letting my baby breathe is not torturing my baby right yeah. and the other and the other half was like oh this is awesome this is such a great tool and tip and you know so just that that education piece of like saline nasal rinsing your baby can be really really helpful um mm-hmm. And not child abuse. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, there there are always going to be parents that feel that when they do a spray, it's quite traumatic, but definitely to get the tips and, and learn from you. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Izzy baby loves having her nose. She doesn't like her boogers thick, but she likes her nose uh, (laughs) rinsed out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, Gosh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can people, well, a couple different things. Where can people find your book? Uh, the book is, the easiest place is Amazon. Um, there's, there's quite a, it's it's available in most marketplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of other, if they just Google it, they'll find lots of other booksellers in their area. Beautiful. I love it. And if people want to follow your practice and follow you, um, what's your website? Are you on social media? How can they find you? Yeah, um, my website is drshereenlim.com.au, but where I'm most active is going to be on Facebook, Dr. Shereen Lim. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. And is it doctor with a D-R or doctor? D-R, D-R. Perfect. Good question. So I I just got an email from my uh, web company. I think they're going to be releasing the website soon, but there's a landing page there. So I, I hope to be able to continually put new information out because this is important information that parents need to be yeah. aware of, mm-hmm. to be able to create resources that other par- other practitioners can use as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's my aim. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, you guys. Well, of course. If thank you, you so wanna... much, guys. Oh, yes, thank <laughs> you. Oh, yes, thank I love you. your energy doing the Lord's work. Um, if you guys want to find us, you can find me at NWMFT. You can find Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory, and you can find our podcast at the Munch Bunch Mayo podcast. So another Munchy Monday success, and we can't wait to see you guys next time. Yeah, thank you.